Ladies and gents, uh, welcome back to Engineers. Thanks for joining us. Uh, today we've got Costis with us, who's uh, down at Plum. Costis, say hello. Hello, hello. Pleasure to be with you, Alex. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. We're going to be talking a little bit about Plum today. Plum's a super interesting product. I'm one of the one million all right, so we'll uncover that at some point, or I have been in the past, truthfully, to give <laughs> to give uh, everyone a little bit of insight into um, Plum. Plum are recognised as, uh, if you like, an AI assistant for your money. So what I mean by this is uh, it can actually do some smart things for you around savings, investments, pensions. I'm not going to steal your limelight cost this because this is your part this is what you've built so can you tell us a little bit about plum um, your journey with plum and the business model in effect just go a little bit deeper into um, some of that intro there sure sure uh thanks for the intro i think it's uh, quite spot on uh i can add uh, a bit of light to it so I would call Plum as money on autopilot is a way we want to you know, phrase it. Yeah. It means that we have like a set of financial services that we offer to the users powered by automation. So basically, there is a lot of apps, I think, that have like, you know, uh, savings propositions like save for you uh, or they yeah. have wealth management aspects to it or even spending insights. But I think to my knowledge, there is little to none that, you know, attempt to go at all of it in a way and uh, automate all of it. So that's what Plum, Plum's, you know, ambitious and maybe audacious, I don't know, uh, mission is to make all this work for, for your user. So it means automate the finances, uh, whether it is safe for you effectively through uh, AI, invest uh, in a way that, you know, will grow your money or maybe even uh, find out bad deals that you're losing money and give you insights to, yeah. you know, do more with it. And where do I fit in in that mission? I guess I, I joined uh, in 2018, in September, so I'm almost three years now. Uh, I joined as the senior full-stack engineer. Back then, we used to have a, a React application. Uh, we were in the Messenger chatbot, and uh, then moved away from it. So that aspect of my job didn't really matter anymore. We didn't have web uh, engineers. So yeah, at some point, uh, I became an engineering manager. So now I, I mostly deal with growing the team, also hiring, but also cultivating leadership, uh, promoting the engineering culture, and trying to make sure we have the correct decisions that enable the team to deliver and, and grow uh, effectively for the future. So it's been a, a nice journey because we were, uh, since I begin, we were, I think, around 10 to 15 engineers. Right now we are over 50, over sorry, 40 uh, yeah. data scientists, backend engineers, front-end engineers. Uh, Altogether, we are more than 40 people. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, been quite the journey. And, uh, yeah, we're still focused on delivering on that mission uh, that I described. Love it. Uh, going into the mission, this is just something that um, came to mind. There's, like you say, there's uh, a number of different companies on the market with some of those individual offerings. In your opinion, uh, offering if you like, uh, savings, investments, and pensions. Is that a strength or is that a weakness, do you think? J just purely from a opinion point of view. 
Yeah, I would call it a strength because, you know, you have uh, all these people that are able to invest uh, uh, right now, right? They have uh, uh, yeah. the ability to do that. Uh, they have the capital to do that. They can do it by themselves, right? But ideally, you want to, to you know, uh, spread that mission to everybody. So it means people that don't actually have the income to support it. So savings naturally comes along with it. So you want people to, to save. So you're, you're creating your own customers in a way. You're, you're creating people that have the ability to invest, uh, have the ability to contribute to pension funds. So I think uh, naturally this, you know, um, is a, a big advantage. Now, if uh, you want to say like, how, how can this go wrong, right? This would go wrong if um, one is like purely, you know, executional standpoint, right? Can you actually do all yeah. these things well. So that's a challenge. And that's, uh, you know, we are obviously always op- uh, improving. And yeah. I can tell you that every aspect now is perfect. We job would be done and I wouldn't be here to talk to you. Uh, so we are still improving each individual aspect of that. And uh, the other is like, can you uh, actually target all that audience, all those uh, audiences in a way? And I think that's also a challenge. But uh, my answer is this, uh, what I said before, which means that you know, you can have a tailor-made product and that's actually one of the reasons we are here. We are to give access to all people. So we don't want to exclude people. We would just build an investment up. And uh, I think that's what's ultimately going to play to our strengths. And we're going to have more accessibility because we have all the tools that each individual needs to actually be able to build their money. Nice. I think you nailed it, by the way, from the execution standpoint is is pretty much what I meant when I was referring to weakness. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And I agree. I think, especially in today's market, I think centralization or an aggregation, if if you can absolutely nail it, is key for customers because everyone wants to have a look at their money in one place uh, if they have a choice, by the way. Uh, everyone probably would want that to happen so it's it's potentially the perfect product offering if you can nail it like you say yeah yeah it's a exactly as you say it and um yeah i guess then it's um you know about nailing it uh, individually because ultimately you're a financial app so trust is very important so it's not like you know you you can fail to give access to people money you know from your app it's not, it's not like you are in a calendar app then okay if uh, it's not working for five minutes it's fine but if I, I need my money now if I need to spend you know that's a different story so uh, that's why it's it's yeah. really challenging on, only from the domain domain perspective not even getting into the tech side of things yeah. a lot of people have got to love you though surely a million people use Plum. Yes, we get a lot of uh, of love. We've gotten also, you know, angry people as well, right? So uh, we get a lot of love. We get a lot of stories yeah. that plus, uh, you know, I managed to do that. And they're genuine stories. Uh, people, you know, will share them themselves in social media and say, okay, I managed to, I don't know, go yeah. get my cat to, to the vet, right? Because of plan. I, I didn't have that ability otherwise. It, it saved me. Um, and uh, through these stories, uh, if I can, you know, add a bit on, on our proposition, uh, we realized, uh, as other companies, you know, have approached the same, we approach it a bit differently. We want to allow people to set financial goals. So we have uh, the pockets. I don't know if you've ever seen them. So you have yeah. these custom pockets where you, you have a theme for them. Uh, so you can say, okay, I have a, an emergency fund. It makes sense for most users. You know, you need to have, uh, I said, some small cash to be able to 
uh, I don't know, get through an emergency. I mean, the cat is a, a story like that. Uh, yeah. You might want to go to holiday. So the nice thing here is that uh, we built that in a way where we leverage behavioral insights and try to understand how we can make people uh, put, you know, uh, meaningful goals. So we actually use a helpful default paradigm. So we suggest people the goal that they probably suits best to their needs. And uh, you see a very high conversion of people, you know, saying, yeah, uh, this is what I need. Or yeah, um, now I need to set an investment pocket because now is the time for me to invest. And that is, you know, powered by a set of analysis and goals in the background. So we, we try to understand also what is the next logical step for a user. I saw your smart algorithms. Yeah. Honestly, Deliveroo would be a non-stop feature in in my plum account trust me on that one by the way <laughs> the yeah. algorithm will be picking that up yeah let's yeah. uncover some of the tech part so talk to us a little bit about you walking in 2018 senior full stack engineer react app in place help us understand a little bit about the tech environment then and the journey to now. And we can uncover some of the decisions in there as well. Yeah. Very good question. I think uh, it's it's going to bring some stories. So then, uh, as you said, we had um, one uh, React web application, right? Um, we were a few engineers. We had uh, uh, one Python monolith, which was deployed into Heroku. And, uh, you know, do not get into many details. I mean, the big changes is now instead of a React web application, we have two native apps, so iOS and Android, and we also are on GCP. So I mean, these are uh, two very core changes and uh, how yeah. we operate today versus how we operated then. So I can you know uh, say why. I mean, uh, some of it is business, some of it is tech. So it's a, it's a little bit of both. So about uh, the applications, it's it's mostly business because you know we realized that uh, chatbots didn't have the steam that we we hoped they have. So messenger chatbots were not the platform um, to manage the money for for the long term. So people expected yeah. you know financial an application. You know a lot of of how you use uh, financial apps has to do with interacting with screens, seeing your balances. So you know if we were just a, yeah. a savings app, then maybe it would be still good. But as we expanded, it didn't make a lot of sense. So uh, we decided we can offer much more quality by, you know, our native apps. So, of course, we had to build uh, uh, proper, uh, you know, uh, mobile-friendly APIs for that. So, uh, because yeah. a lot of functionality that we had in the chatbot needed to move into, you know, uh, REST API functionality. Uh, so that was a journey as well. Uh, we explored, uh, you know, how to best structure uh, our APIs to shoot now mobile applications, and. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, the next big thing was moving from Heroku to GCP. This was, you know, made sense also because Google, you know, uh, approaches and says, okay, you look like a promising startup. Here is some credits that you can have, which is a common strategy yeah. of all these cloud providers. But also yeah. uh, we knew that, uh, you know, Heroku was not a place, you know, for us to uh, to be as we scale much more because we wanted much more autonomy on how we handle our infrastructure. As well as you know, Heroku is very pricey. Uh, if you go into this is, as as more managed as you know the cloud services, the the cost is higher, and Heroku is like very opinionated, very very um, you know 
simple stuff that you can do to scale. Uh, it's a, if you don't have an infrastructure engineer, then you know you're well with Heroku. But we decided we want a more managed solution. Uh, sorry, a less yeah. managed solution. That's where we did the big migration uh, from Heroku to Google Cloud back in 2019, actually. Okay. What made you choose GCP over the others? Because I'm sure, like you say, there's a cloud offering, there's credits. What made you choose GCP? Was it the compatibility of some of the other services that you'd already got or you were going to write or something else? So it's a combination of uh, of things. Uh, yeah, it is also the credits, but also it's about, you know, if you uh, are in a dockerized environment and, uh, um, you know, Google is uh, the most native place to, to run on, on Kubernetes. So, you know, uh, we wanted to uh, leverage all this exceptional functionality of uh, uh, Google's compute engine and all the stuff that Google has, you know, uh, out of the box. We figured it's, mm-hmm. it's a place for AI companies as well. Uh, I don't mean that, you know, there are not services in other Google uh, platforms, but a lot of people are more familiar with Google's uh, managed solutions for, you know, uh, doing these things. So buying all these things together and, you know, hiring people that are more familiar with DCP, then you have a match. So (laughs) there was no, no reason to go to another provider because our expertise the mission that we have and the tools we wanted to use and the credits that we received, all, all these things pointed to Google Cloud. So yeah, it was an easy decision compared to how big it was. So we were all confident that it was a good way to go. Nice. Okay. We've spoken about cloud services. We've spoken about native apps, chatbots. Uh, help us understand a flip side and what, as customers, we don't necessarily see what's going on under the hood. How do you build something or think about building something that is highly performant and scalable? If we think about a million customers, notification engines, requests from customers, etc. Yeah, good question. I can approach it from a process standpoint and then technological standpoint. As nice. Well. So both of them are equally important in a way. So first of all, you approach the need that you want to implement. And for me, if you have like the product specs of, uh, of something, and I mean mostly about ambitious project, right? Not, uh, you know, adding something small. So I don't know, like uh, uh, basically adding uh, the investment proposition into an application yeah. as a whole. That's, that was a huge thing. All these things, we, we approach them. We, we, we really try to get a very high level uh, concrete uh, description of what we're building and why, yeah. and then uh, try to allow the technical people to to get into the nitty gritty, as they say. Uh, yeah. So then uh, we have some people call them RFCs. We call them uh, technical design documents, and um, uh, it's a more free okay. and custom made template. So we, we do that technical design, which uh, usually describes. It depends, you know, on the individual as well. It describes on a high level what I'm going to need, like what persistent store am I going to need, what. Uh, APIs I'm going to need. Uh, what's yeah. uh, the store look like? Is it tables in the Postgres? Uh, how are they? And you have all the high-level architecture in place in the design. This is reviewed by all the stakeholders. Ideally, it's like you know, uh, all the, even you know, even product people take a look at it and understand you know at a very high level of it. Even uh, yeah. mobile people, maybe if it's a back-end feature or, or vice versa. So. That, you know, is the foundation of the understanding of what we're trying to build and how. And uh, we really prefer spending more time there versus, you know, scrutinizing the code or the details of the implementation. It's never a good idea. So 
what I always believe is like it's always architecture first and then code second. So really, you know, uh, make sure nice. the architecture is sound. Then the code will will be fixed. It's it's fine. Like uh, you can uh, introduce a, a GitHub issue and say, okay, I don't like exactly the readability of this function. That you can change at any point in time with almost zero cost. It's almost fun. Can't really easily, yeah. and there is a lot of frustration in changing the architecture later on. So you know that's part of the. Uh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say, do, does everyone get involved in the system design and architecture? So it depends. I mean, from, from an course, engineering standpoint. So we 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 try to always our approaches get out of your comfort zone. So if you are at uh, I don't know comfort zone uh, comfort level X. We want you to to tackle something which is X plus one at least. So we yeah. try to put people on the spot in, in, in a good way, right? So if we feel like uh, you are almost ready to to take uh, a design to, to kickstart it, to drive it, we, we yeah. will uh, give it to you. Of course, you know, we don't expect a, a new junior member to be able to, you know, drive the conversation how we build you know, stock trading in, in our application. But... We generally want to expose all the people to, to the design. So we want people to, to read it. So we try to invite as many relevant people as possible. Of course, you cannot invite the whole engineering team. The design documents, though, are public to anybody. So anybody can come and comment on them. But we do invite people and we say, okay, take a look at it, read it carefully and comment on it. Uh, like this is the phase where, you know, even if you don't have something to say, it makes sense for the most possible people to have context because then you have the redundancy, then you have people that you can jump into to assist and they have context. So uh, for us, it's, it's a lot about being transparent in uh, uh, that phase to you know, avoid surprises later. Uh, of course, you know, there is no, not always is it a sunshine, right? There have been times where yeah. you know, the time is more of the essence and uh, not as much exposure as I would love would uh, happen on the project, but... Generally, yeah, the, the culture is that, and uh, we try to keep it. Nice. Okay. I, I think it's a pretty good culture. Consistently, uh, throughout the Engineers podcast, actually, I've spoken to teams that have built TDAs or TDCs, same meaning, I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, or to everyone's individual meaning, playbooks, other things. But I think the concept of actually involving everyone well, not everyone, but as many people as possible, it is quite key uh, for understanding and visibility on what you're building and why. It's usually the why as well, because if you see something without any context, then you're never really going to learn or understand why it was built a certain way. I think the exposure, you know, maybe if you don't have the ability yet, Um, to be able to go and design something individually, but the exposure to it will only send you in a positive upward curve in your learning anyway. And that visibility for sure to other people, right? Exactly, yeah. And and I think uh, one important point to add here is that uh, a lot of it has to do with the no-blame culture as well uh, and the, uh, the culture of allowing people to to ask any question or to make mistakes. For me, if you don't have that, then, uh, you know, you incentivize the wrong action. So someone says, okay, I, ca- I have more to lose than gain to if I comment on design. That is really terrible to have in a company. So for me, a lot of it is about 
you know, uh, incentivizing people to try and make decisions, to, to make mistakes. Otherwise, you end up with a lot of people looking at other people uh, to do the thing so that, you know, they, they are not put on the spot. For me, it's about putting people on the spot and even, you know, the attempt uh, having a go at it is to be celebrated. So for me, that's why I, 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 I like people taking tech designs, doing a lot of stuff, even when they feel it might be earlier or something, because uh, I want them to feel, you know, celebrated. Even if you start a discussion, like with a mistake, if I say something wrong, it, it also starts a discussion, right? It's, it starts yeah. a discussion of how we're going to do it right. A lot of yeah. times people don't do that because they are afraid to being wrong, but in the end, it would be beneficial. Like uh, even, even mistakes uh, actually drive you closer to... I mean, always yeah. they drive you closer to, to the right thing. So for me, it's a component that you can't separate from, from the culture. Okay. I think culture is key. The, the culture part is absolutely key. The, this might sound like a really dim question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. 2019, you're obviously looking at your estimations, what you need to go and build, in your words, architecture first, code second. Does that change along the way when you are building it? So let's fast forward two years to today. Do some of those estimations and designs rapidly change or change slightly along the way from what you thought you were building or how you were going to build it to what it actually turns out to look like to be built? Oh, absolutely. I think like, uh, yeah, this happens. Um, I mean, most of it has to do with um, how the product evolves uh, and uh, okay. in a startup environment, pivoting, you know, that's that's how you build a successful startup, right? You you find out what people need and uh, you you try to the shortest path to failure. So if something is not working for you, you understand that you need to take another path. So a lot of the times you you just end up building something quite different from what you, you planned on 2019. So in 2021, okay. you're not building the same thing again, right? So I think a lot of it has to do with that. So yeah, some, some architectural decisions now don't make sense. But this is also something that, you know, educates our decisions is to not assume too much uh, of what the future brings. It means, okay. you know, let's say you want to kickstart a new a new functionality that has to do with uh, a partner. Don't overly abstract it in the way that you expect to have multiple partners. You may never have. It's, it, you don't have to do it. You, of course, you know, there is some key principles that you will follow that, uh, you know, you're not binded to one partner, for example, but don't try to assume uh, how this will evolve too much. Don't try to assume a scale that maybe it never, it's, it's still an MVP. So, it might uh, not make the cut in the end. So for me, it's also about simplicity. And uh, I mean, I think Richie, if I'm not mistaken, even said like uh, premature optimization is the root of all living, right? That's concepts yeah. we try to have. So we try to make less and less assumptions of what the future will bring. But yeah, still, uh, you will get into this situation where, you know, you made a decision and uh, now, you know, looking back, it doesn't make a lot of sense and you need to, to work on it. But of course, you'll work on it only because of, of a need, right? Not, uh, That's yeah. like my question asking. As soon as I said that question, um, it's a little bit like your assumptions part. 
don't assume too much and you probably look back and think why did we think that um asking yeah. that question i thought two years why did i ask that um it makes a lot of sense with sprints yeah. iterations retrospectives actually validating what we're building or what you're building yeah that makes sense but yeah i think generally speaking i was just pretty interested as to maybe if you have a collection of designs could something look quite different but it's interesting to hear your viewpoint cool. what well, what's the what's the journey been like with the people scale how tough's that been that's a great question uh, anybody i think who will tell you that you know this is uh, an easy task uh, or you know we're just hiring the best people or you know uh, everything naturally falls in place i think we'll be lying and i i think even uh, However much experience you have, it's always a challenge. Um, it's always, even if you have done it in the past, it's always a new, a new time that you do it and uh, the environments have changed. So, for example, nowadays, I think hiring talent is different than it was, uh, I don't know, two years ago. Uh, it always evolves. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's been challenging. Yeah. I mean, um, even here in Greece, you know, so we have, uh, we, we opened up remote positions just for that. So, we, we said we we understood that we cannot not compete with uh, companies hiring remote. We needed to find the right talent wherever it is. So yeah. uh, maybe a bit late, but not too late. So yeah, at some point we said, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to to hire, I don't know, across Europe at least, across the same time zones, and yeah. find the best talent there. Yeah, because we were competing with companies that were you know maybe even going after our talent. So we had to be smart about it. So Hiring on itself was a challenge, finding, you know, the right people, especially you want to preserve the culture that you have. If you really want to do it uh, in the current climate, you will have a, to make a lot of interviews and a lot of discussions. And I think, I don't know if people can imagine how much time this uh, includes, but you, you really, really have to, to look for people uh, because there is a lot of competition. If you have a high standard in culture and a barrier on the technical side, this is a hard problem to resolve, sure. Yeah, it's a, it's been a, a challenge. And then apart from that, you have also, you know, organizational challenges. How do you effectively make all these people efficient and give a structure around them so that they can be their best, they can work on important things, they can feel, you know, cared for and uh, also be autonomous because we, we are a lot on autonomy, but it's a different thing in 10 people than in 40, right? So, yeah, these are where main challenges that we faced and um, yeah, the solution, I would talk a long time. So you can ask me if you want some details. The, the people scale at the moment is, uh, and for, for the last period of time has probably been the, the toughest challenge to solve that I hear. Well, that I see and feel as well, by the way. We, we spoke to Hopin really recently um, who have just gone into the stratosphere in terms of hiring growing the company and that the people part uh and hiring is just the toughest nut to crack uh and getting that right and that there's so much energy effort intensity that goes into it but especially the onboarding process the safe landing of people and engineers and understanding 
uh, the system, looking at your designs, getting to grips with what they need to do. I think that is the toughest element as opposed to building a really highly performant back end, right? Uh, it's it's the people part. So I agree. I agree 100%. Even a very senior engineer in our team was saying, you know, the code actually reflects the people. So yeah, it's about yeah. the people. It's like uh, you can see uh, how people think in the code. So it's always about people. So uh, people will build the systems. And I don't mean just engineering. I mean, the way of cooperating. So yeah, it's that's a tough challenge. And uh, I think companies understand that. And that's why, you know, there is so many, you know, so big demand for senior leadership in companies because it's it's not a simple task because people are, are tough, right? <laughs> Even if you take, you know, psychologists can't improve people all the time, right? So uh, imagine all these yeah. people without inherent people skills or having studied how to connect with people, drive, change, motivate, and enable people. They they are asked to do that apart from the technical stuff. So yeah, it's it's a very challenging subject. Yeah, uh, I've heard that as well on and off the podcast as in your architecture reflects the communication in the business, um, which, which is pr- probably, or hopefully uh, in effect, the, the same thing as what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a known truth in, in most technical companies. Yeah. There's a particular topic or piece that you and I wanted to discover, like technical challenge part. There's obviously uh, a million users Okay, with Plum, that use Plum. So they've all got thousands of transactions to identify and thousands more other suppliers to compare prices against. Okay, so there's quite a lot of complexity in that problem as it is. So what's pretty challenging about building this? Yeah, very good question. I think you described the... Part of what is really challenging. So it's a, you know, we have all these um, transactions, as you said. So we integrate with open banking with banks and we get all that data. Yeah. So uh, um, it's a, an unimaginable amount of data. You have to process this data to, to get insights for the users, uh, whether it is to suggest, as you said, an alternative in, in a supplier or whether it is to uh, provide insights on their spending behavior. Uh, which we also do, yeah. or it is even to analyze for the algorithm. Okay, part of that has to do with um, even you know consuming all the data. So we have pipelines there. We are really asynchronous. Uh, uh, RabbitMQ has a tough time all the time because <laughs> there is a, a ton of, <laughs> of, uh, of tasks being processed. Um, so our bread and butter is trying to guarantee exactly one's execution of the stuff. So it means, you know, building important tasks to, to process stuff and then making sure that we never miss any event or task uh, in our system. So that means, you know, if we have these two together, we effectively have idempotency and it doesn't matter how much time it takes, it doesn't matter how many times it fails, at some point it's going to be okay. So yeah. that's the strong guarantee we need. Then on the performance side, I think... In uh, modern distributed systems, you kind of don't consider CPU and uh, memory as a problem. You say, okay, I have as much as I want. I yeah. scale to a million if I need to. So, okay, if, apart from cost, of course, but, you know, that becomes a problem much later on. Uh, the elephant in the room is usually IO operations, persistent store, 
So databases, even I operations have to do with other partners. You need to communicate to other APIs and then you yeah. are bounded by their own performance limitations. So for us, uh, a lot of it has to do with that, right? So uh, we have uh, the scalability in infrastructure terms and uh, application terms, and we are you know, always trying to improve the IO skill. You can have million workers processing a transaction, but if you have one database writing at the same time, you have sometimes race condition scenarios. You, you can't write the balance twice at the same time. You, you might yep. miscalculate. So there is a lot of challenges like that, right? It's not a problem that you know you solve once and it's gone. So, so we've been exploring using the right persistence store for everything. We've been exploring Mongo for when we have needs to high high read needs on uh, you know uh, large document like structures. We use Mongo for that. So, do we need time series? We use TimescaleDB DB for that. So, we try to separate the problem and use the right tools. There is honestly not one solution fit all for that and. Uh, you need to explore vertical scaling, horizontal scaling, and application optimizations all together to, to make this work. That's a really interesting concept that you've just helped me understand. So separating the problem, and then do you stress test it, if you like, in a number of different ways to understand the best solution? And then you think, cool, that's that part of the jigsaw fixed. On to the next part, and if you break it down into different areas. You're talking about scalability and performance, right? Again, um, yeah. you mean, I guess the next part for me, uh, and I don't know if that, that's the area you want to explore as well, but uh, I'll go into it. It's about, I mentioned uh, partners, right? So as Plum, we are um, using financial services from uh, a lot of uh, other companies to to offer the user yeah. and, uh, the best automation solution. So we have payment services, we have, e-money services, investment services, all this stuff, they are our partners. And they also tend to, to have their own complexities or uh, yeah. differences from each other. So they have their own late rate limits. They have their own way of failing. A lot of it has to do with making sure that basically the limitations of your partners will never affect your overall performance. So you yeah. you try to yeah. separate. Um, you age limit your partners in the way that you know will will be also... You will not, you know, start them with requests, and uh, they will not have a problem. But you also need to make sure that, as you know, a, let's say a partner uh, sends you a million web hooks, tells you, okay, this million transactions just succeeded. This is yeah. also uh, okay. We use RabdMQ and stuff like that. But you need to to have in place the rate limit that your system can handle because of the interactions with your partner. So you need to take into account not only you know the traffic you have from your customers and like that, but you need to take into account how will these guys actually. Uh, affect me because these are big operations and then you build the system for them as well. In a way. You've obviously built an impressive user base. You've obviously built an impressive team. Help us understand how you hire engineers. Okay, we're going to move on to you hiring in the next couple of moments, but help us understand how you calibrate for engineers, I guess, because there's obviously levels of complexity that you dive into when you're building what you're doing. So help us understand how you calibrate for engineers and also what you're looking for before we wrap up. Yeah. Right now, I start a bit with what we're looking for. So we're looking at all levels. We are always up for getting you know, the, good, the best talent that we can at every level. Yeah. So it's not about, you know, we are only hiring senior people, right? Uh, there is uh, 
room for people to grow into a lot of levels. So that fits into the yeah. calibration as well. So we do hire junior engineers. We do hire senior engineers. We have principal engineer positions. We have, you know, a lot of levels. So of course, the expectations are a bit different from its level. The way we do it is we have, um, we have a, quite a flexible way of hiring. And it depends also on the platform. So it's sometimes there is difference in the backend, in the mobile side. But in a nutshell, we sometimes we, we offer the candidate the possibility of doing a, a technical assignment at his own time or doing it with us. So what do you feel most comfortable yeah. with? And uh, we pass the ball to, to the candidate. And uh, yeah. we are looking, you know, mostly in these uh, exercises that we do because we always do also some greenfield exercises uh, live to see how that person thinks and communicates with us. Yeah. We're looking a lot at critical thinking in general. Uh, we don't really care about particular knowledge and particular technologies. The one thing we will never compromise is, you know, we, we try to never compromise. Uh, you know, it's not always easy to be sure about it. It's the cultural output. Uh, so you go in and you, will you, you know, try to solve problems or point problems? Will you come in and be respectful to, to your team? Do you value team and product more than, you know, just technical excellence? Because at the end of the day, yeah, engineers love technical excellence, but at the end of the day, if you don't uh, come here also for, for our mission or, or the people, then probably it's going to be your own agenda and, you know, your own personal evolution in tech. So in that aspect of things, we really care about, you know, bringing in people that will work towards the same goal as everybody nice. and uh, will be respectful and uh, helpful to their teammates. So... For me, I, I have hired people just because they have these very strong cultural elements, even if, you know, technically, maybe they kind of miss the mark, but it's fine. I think a lot of the times, if you see this attitude, you can fix most technical things later. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Okay. There's another interesting part, and this is way more prevalent nowadays that people are hiring based on, let's call it problem solving, or I see it more formally as system design than technologies. They are conversations that are happening way more, let's just say 2021, than I've seen in the last five, six years. So that evolution, I think, is quite interesting. Naturally, some people might have deferred to that anyway two, three years ago. Okay, so I'm not saying that, but over the last eight, nine months, people have had to be a lot more flexible with, let's just call, call it a group of engineers, let's call it Go, a group of engineers, you massively segment the amount of smart people that you could go and talk to just because of a programming language. And you touch on the remote element as well. If you're not competitive with all these companies who are hiring agnostically and hiring remote, those two elements dramatically improve how many people you're going to go and talk to. So it seems if you're doing things the right way, which is good to see. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it doesn't make sense in 2021 to uh, bound yourself from technology and uh, location in a way. It's a, it's a new way of doing things, uh, at least for startups. I don't know, you know, uh, if uh, there is other rules for other types of companies, but for us, yeah. I mean, technology, you should be able, okay, it's maybe also it's because we are in a Python 
three. So basically, we believe that the learning curve is a bit less than other languages, but I don't think if we had Go, as you said, or anything, that we would say to anybody, you know, you need to have like three years of experience in Go. Naturally, you don't have to know all the integrity of the language. You know, every single of your 50 engineers, right? So if you have like some platform engineers having more experience in Go, you, you can spread that knowledge, you can fix the very core stuff. But I don't think it makes sense to bound yourself by this experience in that particular technology. It's also not fun, you know? So uh, why, would you do it? Yeah. Why, why would you create... I don't know, go engineer. Why not have not have like the, the concept of engineering as something which is creating great products using the means that are appropriate. So I, I don't really agree with that uh, in general. Yeah, okay. Good point. Hiring remote in Greece, do you hire remote in London? Sorry, in London, UK. We have people in uh, you know other cities in UK. So we are really flexible about the location. We have people in Portugal, in uh, Italy, in France. We have uh, across many locations. So, yeah, we've really become a, a distributed team. <laughs> so now our, our team follows our nice. system, which is also distributed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess, um, yeah, we, we we are at that level, uh, not though downplaying the importance of having, you know, uh, offices and being able to gather and uh, together at points. So we, we do encourage people to, to visit and be at the offices uh, in the same location. Nice. Okay. Uh, any other lasting messages that you want to drop to us guys and girls? You guys and girls, if uh, you happen to, to be engineers, uh, consider joining Plum. <laughs> That's uh, one of the messages. Uh, we're building exciting product. In general, uh, yeah, I think, um, okay, it's uh, really enjoyable doing these conversations. Uh, I enjoyed all of our questions. And uh, I guess maybe final messages, I can put a message for engineers. It's For me, it's about just try and join uh, companies where you know you identify with their missions and that makes your life and uh, motivation that much easier. So I think that's something I learned. So the basis of your motivation should al- al- always be uh, the results you want to drive, uh, whether it is for your colleagues or you know people. So for me, a message is try and work for a mission that uh, suits you. So, yeah. That's heartfelt. Yeah, I, really... I agree, though. I'm not being sarcastic. Yeah. With Plum.com, head down to their careers section. Come and join a good team. Great mission. Money on autopilot. We've spoke about a million people who have invested in the product. Literally, okay? Literally invested. A million people are using the product, and there's so many reasons why. So go and check these guys and girls out. Have a look at Costis with Plum.com. And I want to say a big thumbs up and a big thanks for you as well. You've been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, you too. I really enjoyed this and your questions were always to the point. So yeah, it helped me also think about all this stuff more and put into context. Thanks. Oh, good. No pleasure. Guys and girls listening, Give everyone uh, a like, share, subscribe, support, thumbs up, whatever other emojis that are out there um, for our efforts, Costis' efforts, Plum's efforts, and energy that's gone into this. Peace and love, everyone. See you soon. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching this episode. Uh, Massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us, 
and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io, it's no underscore. We've also got a website which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks guys.